Well, good morning again. Um, we have been going through a series on the parables of the kingdom. And uh, this is the last one. We're about to jump into our Advent uh, series starting next week. It's going to be great. Pastor Joshua will be here preaching on hope. It's been like two months since he's preached, so it'll be good. <laughs> good to hear him again. Um, and uh, um, so we're going to do another one today. First of all, isn't it cool to just sort of bask in the words of Jesus? It's so helpful to me, especially when, when you can like feel your heart getting adjusted a little bit of like, oh gosh, yeah, I need to align a little more with, with what he's saying. And, and I, that's what happens to me when I go through these stories. So, um, and I, I, think, um, I think maybe that might happen again this morning a little bit as we look at a parable that is um, often misunderstood, and that is the parable of the talents. So, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to back up and show the greater context, okay? There's our game plan. So first, we're just going to read right through it. This is Jesus speaking in Jerusalem in Matthew 25, and he says, for it will be, for it is the kingdom of God here. He just told another parable about the kingdom. So it will be like a man going on a journey who called to his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, awesome man of God. <laughs> Where's Jeff? Is he here? Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, you have been faithful over a little. Woohoo! I will set you over much. Answer into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made, a, I have, uh, made two talents more. The master said to him, Well done, amazing servant of the king. You have been, that's another, okay. Um, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him and said, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Let's pray. Sounds like a harsh parable, doesn't it? You're like, man, what's going on with you, master? You're like, whoa, okay. 
All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time and look at this a little deeper because when you, when you examine it, things are not quite maybe the way they seem the first time. So first, let's, uh, uh, let's talk about the obvious. This whole thing, uh, first it was the master's property he's given. And he's giving talents. This is property, okay? One he gives five, one he gives two, and one he gives one. And this is the first difficulty in interpreting the parable because we are not talking about skills. I know you might be able to whistle. That's a nice talent. I learned to whistle when I was like 33. So I couldn't do it before then. My daughter Emily would walk around whistling, looking at me like bragging like that. And finally I learned. Yes. But he's not talking about those kinds of talents. This is a strange thing that our biblical interpreters have done in, in keeping that word talents because it doesn't translate in English. All a talent is is a big old sum of money. So it'd be in, better if they maybe translated that that way, but whatever. That's what they've chosen to do. Here's how much it is. Um, th- this is a, a tricky thing to pin down because there was inflation in their day just like there is in our day. And it's, you know, records are just really difficult to, 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 to figure out there how much this would have been. But the numbers I've seen say something like 20 years labor. One talent is worth 20 years labor. So we talked about this a few weeks ago. If we multiply that out, you say the average income in Oregon annually is something like $40,000. So uh, household income. So if you multiply that out, uh, one talent would be about $800,000. So it's a considerable sum of money. So that first one, then, let's just put this in modern terms. The first guy gets an investment of $4 million to take and make money for his master. You still with me? The second one gets something akin to $1.6 million. And the third one gets $800,000. This is not a tiny sum of money here. None of these, okay? So that's how much I'm giving. Now, does that sound a little unfair? Well, kinda. Because that's kind of the big thing today is like everyone having the same. And that's one of the things our Western culture is really big on right now is everyone needs to have the same. But that doesn't actually seem to be much of a priority of heaven. And all you have to do is look around us. We have glorious diversity around us. I don't think God was ever interested in everyone having the same. Uh, Some of you guys are far more talented than I am, and that's a beautiful thing. Some of you guys are way taller. Some of you are shorter. Some of you are paler. Some of you are tanner. Some of you guys have super cool accents, and some of you guys just talk like a regular guy like me, right? Like, all of these things. Some of you guys were born into really wealthy places. Some into poor places. All of these things are different, and there's variety. So, I don't think that was ever a real high priority that everyone has exactly the same. Um, but notice this. The, how, why is he figuring this out then? Well, like what, what's, his, what's his philosophy, this master? And it's this. Each according to his own ability. So, step back. Pretend you're the master here. What, what is he talking about each with his own ability? Well, let's take this first guy, the guy who had five talents or four million dollars, right? I... I I think the master's looking at this guy going, okay, let me think. How much should I give this guy? Well, he's really good with numbers, first of all. Really good with the market in general. In fact, he has a track record of being very good at investing. That's good. Also, he's really good at working with people. He's good at leading teams. So if he had a team with him, they'd probably be able to, to yield a, you know, a really good 
profit if we gathered the right people around him. So let's give him a good sum of money, right? There you go, boom. According to his ability, he has a high ceiling, so he gives him five talents. The second guy, maybe it was something like this. He's also really good with numbers, really good. He knows how to invest. However, sometimes he kind of micromanages. He wants, because he trusts his instincts so much, he's just not real good at letting people make decisions. Therefore, they're not going to be able to deal with as much. He doesn't have the ability to handle all of that. So let's give him two. That's still a lot, and I think he could handle, I think he'd do really well with that. What about the third guy? Okay, still a lot of money, $800,000, right? Because he he knows markets, but I don't want to give him too much because it might overwhelm him. You see, sometimes he can be a little erratic in his decision making. He sees any little downturn with the stocks and immediately he wants to sell. He kind of panics. Therefore, I I, I don't feel comfortable giving him more than one talent, $800,000. What if it was like that? Would that be so weird? Because... Giving according to someone's ability, that's actually compassionate, I think. Because sometimes having more is not so great. Have you ever looked at the statistics of lottery winners a few years after they win the lottery? It's pretty sobering. So within five years, 70% of lottery winners have run out of money. Did you know that? Many of them end up filing for bankruptcy. Many of them then end up, their families fall apart. All this stuff falls apart. And you see, I I just read this story of all these different people who won the Powerball. And they look back and say, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. My family fell apart. I had no idea how to manage it. It was too much. I didn't know what to do. I started making decisions. started making these big purchases. It didn't, I, all of it, you see? Sometimes wanting the bigger thing before we're ready, I think this one, you know, God doesn't always answer our prayers, and there's a variety of reasons, but sometimes I think that he withholds blessing because the blessing would kill us. Do you know what I'm saying? What if he just gave us everything we asked for? A lot of you would be married to your third grade teacher. (laughs) How weird would that be? right? And sometimes like, Lord, give me more blessing. And he's going, you don't yet have the ability to manage that blessing, right? Lord, let me win the Powerball. And he's looking going, that's not a good idea. Now, I'm not saying this is always the way it works. I think there's a variety of how how this stuff works. I don't think God causes it all even. But I do believe that sometimes God withholds blessing because he really loves us. What I'm What I'm saying is simply this. I think this master was doing a really good thing by giving them different amounts. I think he was a good boss. I think he knew his employees well, and that's why he gave them different amounts. Remember, it was his money. Second, we get to the second part here. Look how he responds to the first guy. Enter into the joy of your master. You've... You have done well. You've been faithful. I'm going to give you more. This, the other guy too. Enter into the joy of your master. You know what I love? I love how with the second guy, he didn't go, well, why didn't you make 10 talents? Steve did. Isn't that cool? He, in other words, 
he's just, you know? He's not gonna look and go, you did not do the same thing as he did. Like, he understands. So this guy does what he invests, and this guy does, and they have both, and he says, good job to both of them. He didn't say, well, you're kind of, sort of, maybe just a little bit blessed, but this guy over here did better. Like, he's congratulating both of them, and he's being generous with them. He's willing to entrust more, and he's, you know, evidently throwing a party here. Like, this is, this is cool. Um, so, and for those keeping, keeping score here, the first guy has just presented the boss with $8 million, the second guy with $3.2 million, right? These are good times. This third guy comes, however, and here's the guy who's like, well, I knew you, are, knew you to be a hard man, so I was afraid, and I went and hid the talent. That word, a hard man, literally means a harsh man or a fierce man, even a violent man. This was his take. I knew you to be a hard man. Well, I was scared, so I hid it because you're really violent and harsh. Uh, pause right there. Do you think this master is actually like that? I had never stopped to analyze this. I have to owe this point to Tim Mackey completely. I had never noticed this before, but here he is. This master is actually a really good master all the time. And here he is. I knew you to be like, well, in my estimation, you were really mean. And so what I did is I didn't want to lose anything, so I just buried it. He did it out of fear. He was afraid. And his master is not happy. He sort of reads back the guy's words, his evaluation. You knew that I, was, that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Well, then you ought to have at least invested my money so I could get interest. At least, why didn't you at least do that, Frank? But he just, he just doesn't, right? And so he finally gets to the end. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. And then you get this line, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. Now this is the part that makes us cringe a little because we're like, whoa, that's kind of, wait a second, like, uh, I mean, <laughs> does that mean I'm supposed to go and take that homeless guy's only jacket and go give it to, <laughs> give it to a millionaire? Like, is that what it's like? <laughs> it's like, if you're reading it, they're like, oh, okay. I assure you that's not what this means. First, just take all of Jesus' teaching and what he taught about the poor and our treatment of the poor. That should dispel you of any of those concerns. At every turn, Jesus is talking about being generous, about being loving, uh, uh, about not being harsh. All of these things in his entire ministry was reaching out to the ones who are the outcasts reaching out to the ones who, who were miserable, the sick, uh, the, 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 all of those people. He is reaching out to the poor and, and, and elevating them. But beyond that, remember, remember this. Who's, whose money is it? It's the master's money. He's not, he's not saying take away, <laughs> go and take away all his stuff. He's saying, Take the investment that I gave to him to invest on my behalf and give it to someone who is actually investing. That's what he's saying. He, so, whatever your level of ability, I'm speaking to you now, church, 
whatever your level of ability, whatever your position, your economic stature, whatever your, rep- your reputation, I want to suggest this. This parable is, is telling us that we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity in God's kingdom. And he's telling us don't squander it because the master's coming back. Now, we've got to step back. We have to step back and see this in bigger context, okay? This, this kind of bowled me over as I was looking at this. When you step back and look at Matthew chapter 24, you might get a little scared because it's a prophetic chapter and it's a weird chapter. And just like reading Isaiah or reading Revelation or reading Ezekiel, sometimes when you're looking through and there's so much poetry in the middle of it and it's hard to know what happens close and what happens far and all these things, it can sort of scare you off a little bit. So we're not going to read through it, but I just want to show you the context of what he's talking about by the time he got here, okay? Here's what happened in Matthew chapter 24. Here's, physically, here's what's going on. Jesus is in Jerusalem with his disciples. He's walking around, and this is his final week of ministry. He's going to go to the cross in a couple of days. And a couple of days before, he had walked into Jerusalem, and everyone's waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna. He's in the middle of uh, uh, feast week. That means there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people crowding Jerusalem. And he is, he, he's just followed by you know, this mob of people everywhere he goes. And they're walking around the temple, and the temple was one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was massive. It was bright, beautiful, ornate stone. Uh, The thing was built by King Herod over decades, and it was so amazing. It was the largest raised platform on the planet, and, and hundreds of thousands of people could have fit in the temple courtyard. It was huge. It was ornate. It was absolutely beautiful. So they're walking around, and the disciples are pointing at the temple, going, look at that. Oh, Solomon's portico is so cool. Look at those steps. Oh, my goodness. Is that a cherub carved in there? And Jesus, Jesus, (laughs) here's what Jesus says in the middle of this. He's like, yeah, this temple's going to be destroyed. (laughs) Oh. He says, there's not going to be one stone left on another, like, and so, <laughs> like all the energy leaves the room, right? And so they ask this, uh, when? And when does the end of the age come? Because you keep making all these references to how you're going to come back and everything's going to end, people are going to be judged. Is this what you're talking about? And what is up with the temple? And So they're asking these questions. So he spends the, the, the majority of this chapter talking about what's going to happen. And this is where, like I say, it gets fuzzy. And and, and great scholars, amazing scholars who love the Lord have have argued about this and tried to figure out all of what is meant here. We're not going to do that this morning. Um, But there's two things that that seem to be pretty solid in his answer as he goes through this, okay? The first is this. He answers both questions. The first is that the temple will be destroyed within a generation. Now, this is a fact that sort of looms. It's like the shadow over the New Testament um, because it's coming, and it does happen in 70 AD, which is one generation, like 40 years, right? It happens. Rome finally has enough with all the uprisings, with all the little revolts, and they come and they just lay waste to Jerusalem. 
And it's this just horrible thing that you can, it, you can read all about it. And just thousands slaughtered. It was this terrible thing. And it was the thing that was grieving Jesus so much when he was in Jerusalem because he saw all the violence and all this desire to rise up against Rome. And he's like weeping over the city because of all of this. He knows where it's gonna lead. So that's one of the things that comes out of this chapter. And the other is this. As for my return, only the Father knows when. Okay? He says, uh, verse 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Only the Father. So in other words, you ask when the end is coming, you're not gonna be able to figure that one out. But that hasn't stopped people from trying, has it? Hey, who can forget this right here? <laughs> you remember these? 2011, yeah. Here's my favorite part of this. May 21st, 2011. My favorite part is that little seal up in the top left. This is the Bible guarantees it. Like, you know, like the little guaranteed seal. Like, yeah, it's, so, it's just so funny. Um, this, this man had put this up and made a really big deal about this. Um, I think these were all over the country because everybody was talking about it. Um, and he had actually written other books in, like, in the 90s. I think 94 he wrote one. And, and he was predicting Jesus was going to come back in 94. Well, that didn't happen. So I think he did another prediction about 95. And he just kept, he kept going. And he actually did an interview in the 90s and he says I know I'm like the boy who cried wolf and there's no wolf but that doesn't bother me in the slightest <laughs> that's what he said I'm like maybe that should maybe that should bother you um, so it didn't stop him from trying and of course this day comes and goes and uh, and that was only here's another billboard that was put up save the day <laughs> the return of Christ <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, it just makes me laugh. And then, can you see that URL at the bottom? Wecanknow.com. Oh, we can. I'm like, you must not have read the words Jesus then. Okay, so the day comes and goes, and I love, somebody did this, I don't know who it was, but I love it. <laughs> Isn't that outstanding? Well, that was awkward. <laughs> See, here's the thing. We've gotten caught up in this kind of nonsense for so long. Oh, this is not the first time either. It's happened so many times. And Hal Lindsey wrote a book in the 70s called The Late Great Planet Earth. I found out this morning. I didn't know this. I found out this morning that book was like the number one nonfiction bestseller for the 1970s. Like, and, and he predicted Jesus is coming back on December 31st, 1988. So it, fascinating, right? And then once they get closer to that, somebody else jumped on that prophecy. And so they wrote, I don't remember this guy's name. He wrote a book called uh, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. You remember that one? <laughs> How many of you guys remember Y2K? Yeah, Okay. For the sake of the youngins here, the Y2K, we heard, this is all we heard about in 1999. It was the only thing they talked about on the news is Y2K. And here was the thing, it was early in, you know, the internet boom and all this, and, and, uh, and word had gotten out that early on, some of the computer programmers had only used two digits to put the date 
the, the year, right? The year. So they had always gone just 96, 97, 98, 99, and it suddenly occurred to them, wait a minute, we should have used four digits because what happens when that 99 rolls over? Like, the computers are going to totally shut down. And so this, this, they were really concerned. All these experts like, D we actually don't know what's going to happen. And so people start theorizing and people jump in and then you've got like, these guys like, ah, oh, thus saith the Lord. Like, this is going to be the end of the world. And so people make their dire predictions, but the church is right on the forefront of that. Not in the forefront of very many things, but this time we were. And that's because Jesus is coming back on Y2K. That's what this is all about. And so, of course, Y'all count down, five, four, three, two. I remember seeing the first, it's like, here's Australia. You know, every year you see like Australia is the first one you see with their like New Year's celebration. And it looks like their lights are still on. <laughs> you can feel all the people who are like really invested, like all the hyper -pro prophecy, biblical prophecy, people like, Ooh. like it was they were a little disappointed. It was like, come on. And so it goes through, nothing happens, right? Everything's totally fine. I went to the, the Bible bookstore in January. And there was a rack of books that they were pulling off the shelf. They were all Y2K biblical prophecy books. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I'm like, what's wrong? Goodness, people. Like, well, that's happened before then. We didn't invent that in, in the, 20, the 20th century. Uh, it happened actually in the, the 1800s. Most famously, there was a guy, uh, what's his name? William Miller. There was a whole group called the Millerites. Where's John Miller? I would love to pick on him this morning, but he's not here. Um, so William, William Miller, and he, there you go, Millerites. Oh, we have one Millerite here. Um, so he, he says, look, look, Jesus is coming back between in March of 1843 and, and 1844, guaranteed, and probably on this day in October. So he gets thousands of people listening, and like they all sell all their stuff and move to the mountains. And they're all just up there like, he doesn't come. Like, he says, well, well, I, I clearly missed it by a month. My calculus, because it's all numbers. It's all numerology, right? Oh, uh, well, it was just the wrong day. Ah, I fixed my error. Sorry, my three looked like an eight. <laughs> you know? And it comes and goes, and all these people just like, uh, it, they stay up there, and they formed a new sect, actually. They did. This is what happens, and all of it, Jesus told them, don't do this. He says, don't. You don't know the day or the hour. So that's what he's telling them. Yes, I am coming back, but you don't know the day or the hour. Therefore, be ready. Be ready. Because here's what he says. This is in the deep Greek, okay? You're not going to see this in your text, but here's the deep Greek. Here's what he said. I, I will come sneakily. <laughs> Technically, what he said was, I will come like a thief in the night. In what way is he like a thief? Jesus said he's like a thief, right? It's like another parable. You can't interpret the whole thing. Jesus is going to come take my stuff? No. He means he's going to come sneakily. You're not going to know when he's going to come. Just like thieves don't generally announce when they're going to show up and rob your house. He's going to come when you don't expect it. You're not going to see it. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Therefore, be ready. Be ready. You still with me? Okay. Now, he takes this be ready part and he gives us a couple of different scenarios, all right? Here's the first one. He says, be ready like watchful servants 
who are serving faithfully when their master returns. Don't be stupid. Again, that's the deep Greek. Don't let his return surprise you. Don't let him find you being cruel and selfish. Be ready. He even says, don't, don't jump in with the drunkards and get drunk and find him come like in the gutter. Don't do that. Be ready. And he gives another one. He's like, let me give you another picture of being ready. Be ready like watchful bridesmaids. This gets into chapter 25 now. Watchful bridesmaids. The parable is often called the parable of the ten virgins. But here's what this is. He's, he's talking about a cultural thing that actually been really cool um, that they did. Obviously, we don't do now. But uh, for weddings were a huge deal, mul- a multiple day celebration. But it would start when the bridesmaids would go out with lamps and they would wait for the bridegroom to come. And he would come as it was getting dark. Okay, so they had to have lamps and they had a procession, almost like a little parade, where they would go and pick up the bride and they would go to the groom's home and that's where the celebration would begin. So they all know this, right? And so the parable he tells is that, uh, imagine that you have this happening, you have 10 bridesmaids, but only five of them even had oil for their lamps. Modern translation, their iPhones weren't even charged. We're going to use our little, why didn't you charge your phone? Oh, look, I thought I'd borrow your battery. I need my battery, right? (laughs) That's really what we're dealing with here. So he says, be ready like watchful bridesmaids who are ready for the bridegroom when he finally comes late in the evening. They have all the, the oil for their lamps and they're ready for the party. Don't be like the ones who forgot to bring oil. They weren't ready. Be ready. Are you still with me? Be ready then, like faithful investors who were given talents. And that brings us to our parable. Parable of the talents is all about Jesus going and coming back. Are you ready, he's saying. You see, some of us maybe don't have, feel like we don't have a lot. We don't have like the guy down the street We talk all about, we get so hung up and people having more than we do. And yeah, there are difficult times, but what do you have? What has he given you? Have you been faithful with those things? That's what he's getting at here. Maybe you don't, maybe you didn't start with five talents. That's okay. What do you have? You have one? Have you been faithful with that? Or have you been afraid? You see, right now, our culture is kind of gripped with fear. All you have to do is turn on cable news, whatever your brand, and people are preying on fears. That's what's happening. That's what happened. Whatever your favorite thing is, you turn it on, somebody's angry about something because something catastrophic is about to happen all the time. And, and if you turn on any, you, you go to a movie, any science fiction movie, it's no longer like there's like cool visions of the future, like, you know, riding around the galaxy with Captain Picard and there's like building peace. It's not that way anymore. Now, if you see any science fiction movie, it's all post-apocalyptic. Something has destroyed the world, okay? Uh, maybe it was an electromagnetic pulse. Uh, you know, maybe it was nuclear war. Usually it's nuclear war. Maybe it was a virus. Maybe it's zombies. You know, whatever it is. There's some reason now where there's only like six people left on the planet and we got to figure out how to survive. That's where we are. You guys, don't you think that's indicative of the fear level that we have? I was afraid, so I hid the talent. I buried it. 
I just didn't want anything to happen because it's all that I had, so I just put it away. Don't be afraid. As kingdom people, don't be afraid. He has given you talents. Yeah, he's given you giftings too. He's given you lots of things. Maybe you don't have as much as the guy down the street. That's okay. Leave that to him. Let him invest what he has. What do you have? You have something. The parable is asking you, are you investing? Because here's the thing, here's the thing, right? If you follow Jesus, it's his anyway. It's his resources. It's his money. It's his scale, skill. It's his time and energy. It's his availability. All of those things, it all belongs to him. I'm just talking to the Christians in here. If you don't follow Jesus, I'd encourage you to give. I think that's beautiful and live kindly. But see, as believers, he's our king. So everything we have is his anyway. But if you're like this because you don't want to lose it, ah, well, you know what, it's his. It's his. So give, don't be afraid. Now what are we talking about here? Well, I think we're, we're, we're talking about lots of different areas. What do you do with your time? Well, maybe you don't have tons of free time. That's okay. Some people have a ton of free time, and so they actually invest that free time by loving people, investing that free time in whatever ways that he's calling you to do that. Free time, giving him free time, loving him, first of all, loving others. What about, what about resources? What about finances? You don't all have to be Bill Gates in order to be able to give. Do you see what I'm saying? Everyone has something to give here. Time, energy, talent, resources, all of those things. And the parable is saying, whatever you have, whatever you have, whatever he has entrusted to you, it's good. Enter into the joy of the master. You don't have to worry about lack. Oh, I, only, I didn't make you that. I didn't make you as much as him. It doesn't matter. You are faithful with what you have. Consider this. What would have happened if the one talent guy had invested and failed? I think, given what we know about this master, I think he would have said, you know what? Good try. Let me give you another talent. Let's try this again. In fact, we could surround you even with some people that can, can, can help you through this because I believe it. I think that's what he would have done. And I think that's what he does with us too. Are you investing the things that you have? Or are you devaluing them based on what someone else has? Because what you have, you guys, is you can, that, that's, that, only you can do something with that. And it matters. It matters and there's value in it. This is why I'm so excited about Advent Conspiracy because this pulls us back and it reminds us this is all his and how can I invest more wisely in what the king is doing? How can I invest what's his anyway? How can I invest better? that I don't just get caught up in the wave of consumerism that hits our culture, but that I can say, Lord, I wanna bless you and your people. And this is why we make a big deal about this, this, this time of year. This isn't about Christ and his finances, all goes out to these people. And it, it's a reminder for all of us that says, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yours. Yeah, I wanna be ready. Do you guys wanna be ready? I wanna be ready. If he comes back in the middle, I wanna be like him, look, say, him be able to look at me and say, you've been faithful. And maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't come back in our lifetime. You know, every generation pretty much has all thought that he's coming back in their lifetime. 
Maybe he does and maybe he doesn't. Maybe you go to him before he comes here. Either way, you don't know when that's gonna happen. So in the meantime, let's be about his business. Let's be investing his resources in the way that he's asked us to. You guys, what you have really does matter. You might not think it's much, but little is much in the kingdom and he knows how to multiply it. Don't devalue that. Don't devalue it. Take those talents and give them into the kingdom. Let them grow. Let them grow. Let's stand together.